Hello, I am so excited because today's guest is Tosha Shaw. She is the co-author of Listen, the book that she co-authored with Patty Whitfler of Hand in Hand Parenting. And it's extra exciting for me because I actually did the Hand in Hand Parenting professional training a while back as part of my own journey to becoming a parent coach. And so this is a full circle moment for me. I'm so excited to welcome Tosha onto the show. I'm a big believer in all of her work and we share so much in common, which you'll hear about more in this interview. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. So if you haven't heard of who Tosha is, she's a parent educator. She's committed to creating a more peaceful world, one sweet boy at a time. Now, if you have girls, then this is still for you because you'll learn about ways that we need to treat boys in our culture, um, particularly as parents, but also as other adults in their community and what might be going wrong and how we can get that back on track and change things up. I know that for me, a lot of the typical, stereotypical, I should say, issues that uh, people associate with raising boys, and I have three boys, um, are very much prevalent in my home. Things like aggression and violence. Um, And so that's the type of thing that Tosha helps us out with. And I am so supportive and a big believer in her work. And I will post all of the links that we mention in today's interview on the show notes for this episode. This is a bonus episode for our podcast listeners. So enjoy this interview. I will not make you listen to my hoarse voice any longer. Let's go ahead and play that interview now. Tosha, welcome to the Parenting Junkie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Avital, for inviting me. I'm excited. Me too. We have so much in common. It's just so awesome to connect. It's crazy how much we have in common. For those of you listening, some of the cool things that we have in common is, first of all, Tosha and I both have a very strong Israel-America line and connection. But second of all, we also both have three sons, which is very cool. You're just much further down the the line than me in terms of your experience and your son's age. So, Tosha, tell us a little bit about your children, your background, what you do, who you are, introduce yourselves to anyone who might not know you. Yeah, so my name is Tasha Shore. You might know me online as your partner in parenting or your partner in parenting boys. And I am most importantly mom to three boys. So at the time of recording, they are 12, 14, and 17. So really, they're all teenagers. Or one's pretty, I guess one could be a tween. One could be a tween. Um, but two for sure teens. And um, really, my mission is to create a more peaceful world, one sweet boy at a time. And I do that by getting into families. So rather than be overwhelmed by the uh, state of the world and looking around and noticing, you know, from, from war to terror to politics, that there's a lot going on, a lot of it's happening at the hands of, of men, um, not all, but, but most of it at this point. And I feel like as parents of young boys, we have an amazing opportunity to switch this, to flip things around, to turn this on, on its head. And we do that by shifting the way that we parent our boys. 
And so that's why I just decided I was sort of super overwhelmed and then decided like, wait a minute, like we have such an opportunity here. So that's what I do. I help parents who have young boys, like ages two-ish to 10-ish who are struggling often with aggression issues, could be sibling stuff, could be really anything. And I teach them how to change those behaviors in their boys without any punishments at all. No harshness, nothing like that. It's all, all connection-based. It really like moves me on so many different levels what you just said. First of all, I don't know, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but other people have heard me say this, that I suffered from severe PTSD after living through a lot of terror um, in, in my hometown in Jerusalem. And exactly what you're saying, I felt so overwhelmed by how, you know, how do we change the world? How do we save the world? It feels so overwhelming. And that's exactly the inspiration and enthusiasm and energy that I have found as a parent. Like this, this, this is what we can do. This is what we can do. One family at a time, just me and my family trying to do things a little bit differently. And uh, and and I love I love that focus on the aggression etc. All through non-punitive means. So and I am your target audience. I have three boys ages zero to eight and a girl, but um, three boys, and we definitely uh, struggle with aggression being. Um, you know, just kind of a regular thing in our house, just an everyday occurrence. So I think though, that maybe a lot of people listening, and I'm sure you get this a lot, there is kind of perk up with the definition of boys, right? First of all, today, there's a lot of different discourse around gender and identity and differentiating kids by gender and calling out gender or, um, labeling genders, you know, boys are aggressive, that type of thing. What's your response to all of that? And why ultimately have you kind of put your stake in the ground and said, no, I'm, I'm helping mostly families with boys. It might help to put things in perspective by telling you a little bit about my story. Um, so, so I grew up pretty much with my mom in the seventies in Oakland, California, a lot of really lefty politics, political activism, the feminist movement was going strong. You know, I studied at Santa Cruz. I was a women's studies major. Um, women were very much the center of my life and they were my role models. And the way that the feminism at that time, well, I shouldn't say it was taught, but the way that I interpreted it was that men were the bad guys. And not that there weren't men who came in and out of our lives. There were probably way too many men who came in and out of our lives, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is like, we were better. They were just sort of like, whatever on the side. Mm. And if something went wrong, it was generally their fault. Mm. And so I could look at the world today and think the same thing, you know, just like I was saying earlier, right? Most of the terror is happening at the hands of men. Most of the war is being perpetrated, you know, by, by men. Most of the school shootings in the United States and around the world are happening by young men. But um, when I was pregnant with my first, I, I, I have a vivid memory of laying on the couch in my living room and all of a sudden having this thought and my eyes getting like super big and jumping up and calling my mom and saying, mom, what if it's a boy? <laughs> and there was literally silence on the other end of the phone. And we were both silent. And then she goes, don't worry, Tasha, we'll figure it out. 
And, and like, when I talk about it, it sounds kind of funny, but like when your world is all woman and like you grew up with your mom and we were just like the dynamic duo, people were always like, are you guys sisters? And we did everything together. And I mean, it was, it was an exciting time and a wonderful time to grow up and we have, we still have an amazing relationship, but I never even crossed either of our minds <laughs> that I would be having a boy, but I was, and I ended up with three. And what ended up happening is I had to revisit all of these beliefs that I had grown into in my formative years from, you know, they're the bad guys to, oh my God, I have these three boys who I love more than anything on the planet. I want life to go well for them. How do I become the best advocate in the world for them? And so I, I needed to figure this out for myself. I need to figure out how to marry these ideas of like, I am a progressive thinker and a feminist thinker and a lover of my boys and a real advocate for boys worldwide. And so I want to say it's okay to be all those things. I don't have to be one or the other. I don't have to choose. There's no bad guy here. We need to figure out where different groups are struggling and bring everybody up. And the other thing that I want to say about boys is that it, you know, and the gender spectrum is, is that, you know, you can label however you want to label if you're the parent of a child. Um, the, re the reasons that I have these, you know, communities and courses for parents of young boys is because the world teaches, uh, sorry, treats boys differently. And that's just fact. You know, you can look at studies that show that the world treats boys differently. The way that teachers in classrooms discipline boys or grade their work is different than it is for girls. The way that coaches respond. I mean, I, you know, when we were actually living in Israel, um, one of my boys was playing soccer. He got cleated in the neck with these shoe, you know, cleats, the soccer. It's like, I don't know about you, but I'd cry. I mean, it's like, it hurts, right? And he cried. And essentially what his coach said was like, you know, get it together or you're not playing the next game. And um, again, because I realized, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that the coach too is coming with his own story and his own history and his sort of own, own, own worldview, that it was an opportunity for me. And that's the beauty of doing this work is I've come to a place where it's like, I don't even need to blame the coach, but I do go up and afterwards and say like, hey, you know what? Actually, there's something really cool I want to talk to you about. And that is that if you were to let him cry, he would be able to get up and back into the game much faster than if you shut him down. Like, which is just like the tip of the iceberg, but it's a piece of information that is important for a coach to know. Um, you know, and uh, another thing, I mean, I can go on and on. I keep thinking about these other things, like in terms of boys, like men oftentimes, and I see this working with dads, it's like they are, are, tamping down their boys' feelings and telling them, you know, to, you know, man up and, and, and get it together, not from a place of wanting to be harsh, but mostly they're coming from a place of having been very shamed themselves for having displayed emotion growing up. And they just want to protect their little guys from going through what they went through. Yeah. So do you see what I mean? There's like these different ways, everybody's got this story that they're bringing to it. But the reality is, is boys are treated differently. I've got my story that I bring that I have to figure out. And parents of young boys really need a safe place to be together, 
to share, like what I say, like put your cards on the table, all of them face up. Because if you're like making it all pretty and fluffy for me, I can't really help you. Like you need to tell me exactly what's going on. And believe me, I've heard it all and it can be really ugly and I get it, I've been there. And so we need to place where we're not gonna be shamed as parents. Yes. Be like, what's wrong with you? How do you let him talk to you that way? Or, you know, how can you let him hit you that way? Or all these things that we get, or, you know, the, the, the whispers of, oh my God, you know, I don't I hope he doesn't, he's not in our group or not getting invited to birthday parties or all the things, right? Labeled the bad boy in the class, yeah. all of these things that we carry with us. So I want to create a safe space for parents of these kids to be able to put it all out and be able to be proud of who they are as parents, build their confidence so that it can actually go back and help their boys get rid of those behaviors that, I mean, the bottom line is they're not serving them well. We don't want our boys to be out there hitting and getting in trouble and doing all these things. I'm not saying that's okay. I'm just saying the way to fix it isn't by shaming the parents or shaming the boys. A hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Amen to everything you just said. And I love how you said we've got to put all our cards on the table face up. I feel that that's something that so many of us really struggle with because I know I have felt, oh my goodness, if other people saw how my child is currently behaving in my home, you know, it's just such a deep sense of shame as a parent. Like I have failed. This is a broken child because I'm a broken parent. Uh, this is unacceptable behavior and there's nowhere for me to move forward from there. That that's just where you get stuck, right? It's just that level of shame that, Oh my God, it's just so, so embarrassing. It's like being caught in your worst shame kind of. Um, so I think I have felt that on many occasions. And I also wanted to kind of underscore something that I think it's so important that you're creating these communities for parents with boys. And I love that, let's say in your open content and here on this podcast and that kind of thing, other people who may not be struggling with aggressive boys can hear that because I think it's a community wide uh, mindset shift. You know, I've been in that position, even though I have aggressive boys myself at times, um, or let's not label them in that way. I have boys who are sometimes aggressive. Um, yes, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, even though I've been the parent to that kid who's behaving in a really aggressive way, I when I see other kids behaving that way, my mind automatically is like rejection. Let's not play with them. Oh no, what are those parents doing wrong that that kid's behaving that way, right? I'll go to all those judgments as a first kind of default and then I'll have to course correct and say, one minute, Obviously, they need our support and our acceptance and our judge, a non-judgment, you know, a judgment-free zone to help him to overcome these, these, you know, maladaptive behaviors, just really unhelpful behaviors, as you were saying. Um, and it's not really different from any other struggle a kid has, right? Like if a kid is hitting or yelling or, or calling people names, they're struggling. And when we see another kid struggling with shyness, you know, or with wetting themselves, we see it as a struggle. But here, I mean, there's, it's almost so much more taboo because it's, it's being externalized onto other people, right? And so everyone feels they need to protect themselves. Parents get really scared. Right. You know, that's, you know, like I said before about dads, I see getting scared in that way of like not wanting their boys to be shamed in the way that they were. Um, and another thing that I'll, I'll say is that I see a lot of women, moms getting scared 
because the aggression often brings up past trauma. Many of us have past trauma, whether it be physical abuse or sexual abuse or just verbal abuse. I shouldn't say just, but yeah. verbal abuse, right? So when we suddenly have this little boy screaming horrible things at us, it can be really triggering. Uh-huh. And you know, I, I cannot tell you how many parents come to me. They're like, you know, he's three, but he's really big. He's really strong. Yes, yes. And I'm like, okay, so that's just a mental note to me. This parent is scared out of her mind because there, there's no other reason that she can't let me coach her to stop the aggression and move in in a loving kind of a way, right? I don't care how big your three-year-old is, he's not stronger than you. And there are ways that we can move in and bring limits that are going to stop the behavior and help him heal. But first we have to heal ourselves. So that's a big piece of what I do is working on our own triggers so that we can actually behave differently in the moment ourselves. Because I mean, as you very well know, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, but like parents come to this work because they want to fix their kid or change a behavior. And the reality is, is we're the adults, right? We're the ones with the developed brains, um, hopefully. And we're the ones, you know, who are going to create the change, not them. We have to be the leaders. So we have this fallacy that, um, that we believe, even if it's sort of subconsciously at this point, that if our child behaves well, you know, whatever well means, if they're good, then they get our love, right? Then they get the affection. Then they get the hug. Then they get whatever it is that they get. And what I like to say is like, we got to flip that on its head. Because if you see a child who's struggling, whether it be with aggression or something else, that's a call for help. It's a call for connection. And we would do so much better as parents, as communities, as a society, as as a world, world culture, if we would first move towards connection, first connect, right? And then we would notice that behaviors would change. So we wanted to sort of flip things completely on their heads and not say my child has to behave a certain way in order for me to treat him a certain way, but he deserves my love always. And when he's struggling, then I really need to think hard about what it is I need to do to help life go better for him and for us. So Tosha, I know a hundred resistances come up to those sentences, right? Because, and I can speak from personal experience in that I've, I've, I've been in both places where my child behaves aggressively and my feeling is I reject you. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to make you feel the pain that you're inflicting on everyone around you, right? That reactive, angry, not connected space. I know we all have been there. We have all been there, (laughs) self-included. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, we're not going for perfection. Right. And I know for a fact that it's it's ineffective. And I know for a fact that I'm behaving like a five-year-old as well in that moment. Um, But like you said, we've all been there. And then I have been many times, you know, knock on wood, (laughs) you know, I'm grateful that I've managed to many times, even though I feel the trigger arise in me, I'm able to talk myself down from it and seek connection first. And I 100% think that that is the superior, more effective um, way of handling aggression or any misbehavior. But I hear our audience saying, but that um, rewards 
the bad behavior. If my son is throwing a plate across the room and I move in to give him a hug, first of all, he's going to punch me in the nose. Second of all, that's showing him that I approve of him throwing the plate, right? So how do you answer parents when they say, when they say that, and let me add in another double whammy for you is the other one is I don't feel like it. I feel like he's abusing me. I feel like he's abusing his siblings when he's behaving like that. He can't be in our home. I don't want to be near him. I, you know, I, I won't, I wouldn't accept this abuse from anyone else. Why should I accept it from my, you know, four-year-old? Right. So let, let's start with part B, the second point, and that, the second point, and that's really about the dealing with our own triggers. Like I, like I said earlier, right? We, we have to deal with our own triggers if we're going to be able to come in calmly. Um, the reality on the ground is that's just not what, what happens. Like most of your audience has younger kids. Those younger kids are gonna grow into teenagers. In order for them to thrive as teens and get through without any you know, drug addiction or abuse, pregnancy, pornography addictions, uh, you know, all the things that we worry about getting wrapped up in you know, gangs or, or you know, ISIS or school shootings or, and I say these, I mean, you know, we sort of laugh, but I have parents, they like my parents who come to me, like they're scared. They're scared. Their kid's going to end up behind bars. Like if he's like this at five, yes. like, if he's I've heard that before. I've definitely yeah. heard that before. Like this is the making of a criminal. Yes. I've heard right, that. Exactly. I think we've, yeah. we've all been there. Like, Oh my God, is he like possessed? What is going to be? Right? <laughs> what is going to be? Um, the reality is this is why it's so important to address aggression and these behaviors when they're young and to show them that we're not scared. Because what happens is when you know they're terrified and they're acting out in this way. And if we just get scared and punish and push them away, they become more isolated and more afraid and the behaviors perpetuate. And then they grow into teens who are you know, sneaking and hiding and not cluing you in on what's going on and your life is gonna be way harder than it is now. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it absolutely pays off when they're young to move towards them, to, to go for the connection and to work on ourselves such that we can, when they throw the plate, you know, move in close and, and, and you know, grab them into a big hug and even maybe be playful about it even maybe be playful about it. It is so anti everything we're taught, but the reality is, is when a child is acting like that, they are feeling completely alone. Yeah. And when we're feeling alone, we need someone to pull us back in, right? We need someone to pull us back in. And that's really our job as parents to say like, okay, this kid is really scared. I need to, you know, I, I need to pull him back in. Um, so that he can feel connected because then the behaviors will stop. I mean, it's just how it works. So it's like, it's almost like you have to just start practicing and then you, you see it happen. And then you're like, Hmm, because this whole idea of like, if I do it, if I do it, I'm reward, if I, you know, respond to aggression with, with love, then I'm rewarding the behavior is just not how it plays out. You know, the other thing people say is like, am I not, am I, um, I need to teach him that it's not okay, right? This is sort of goes hand in hand. And it's like, well, I've never asked, you know, the thousands of parents I've worked with, I've never asked anybody. If you asked your son, if he thought it was okay to break that plate, for example, right? Yeah. To use for example, 
what would he say? No one has ever said like, oh yes, he would say, absolutely, it's okay to break the plate or hit my sister or spit in your face or call you a effing whatever. Like, no, no one has ever said that to me. So really, we don't need to teach them, to cognitively teach them those things. They have a, a keen sense of what's right and what's wrong. And if they're not able to do the right thing, then that is saying, I need help. Amen. Yes, I 100% agree. I always say that to myself as well, or to clients when they say, well, I've got to teach them. I think we have this um, notion almost from dog training, where if a dog pees on a couch, you immediately have to say, no, no peeing on the couch, and grab them off the couch, and so that they know that it's the wrong thing. Um, You know, when your kid is acting out of aggression, they're choosing the wrong thing to do on purpose, because they're trying to to communicate their distress, right? It's that they're not throwing the plate because they didn't know that throwing a plate is the wrong thing. They're throwing it because they're out of control, right? Right, but I would switch that up a little. I wouldn't say that they're doing it on purpose. And I think that that's like a little bit of a mindset shift that's important for parents to make because when we feel like our child is doing it on purpose, then our feathers get ruffled. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just like, how dare you do that? You know better, blah, blah, blah. But if we go, if we come at it from a perspective of he is doing the best he can always, mm-hmm. always, and if this is the best and it's crap, <laughs> then me, the parent, I have to come in and like make a plan and figure out what's going on. So to, to, I really want parents to actually stop saying to themselves that they're doing it on purpose um, be, because it's not that they're trying to manipulate. Right, 100%. Even if, you know, it is a call for help and it is a call for attention, but actually that's a really good thing because their bodies know that if they can just feel connected to you, that they'll be able to behave better. And they are gonna do anything that they can to feel better, to get you to notice. And that's actually the perfect thing that they should be doing. They know the way, like we just have to sort of follow their lead. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's so interesting. I think for me, when I say doing it on purpose, I, I don't mean it's they sit down and like, hmm, how can I upset mom right now, yeah. right? But I think, I guess it, it could easily be interpreted that way. For me, when I see my son doing that, I'm like, he's doing this as a call for attention. I do sometimes see it as, not, not in a bad way, by the way, but manipulative behavior. I do often see it as a behavior that this is, this is being done in order to get a rise out of me, which is, which is appropriate. Like, or I don't know about appropriate, but it's necessary. It's what he needs right now. But I know that those, those terms, like they're not serving me or anyone who's listening to say he's doing it on purpose or he's being manipulative. The point is really, I, I remember myself as a four-year-old having a tantrum. I actually remember being in the midst of a tantrum and I was a very intense kid and I got angry a lot. And um, I think probably, I don't know about violent and aggressive, but uh, you know, I was, I definitely expressed my anger like with a <laughs> loudly and unpleasantly for everyone. But I remember being in the midst of a tantrum and just wishing someone would come and hold me. Yes. And stop my arms, like I'm throwing things or whatever, or I'm I'm flailing around, and I was just like, why aren't they coming? <laughs> that's, that's 
have I have a very similar memory of being having a huge tantrum and I remember where we were we were in the kitchen my mom was sitting on a stool I was about six and I was you know calling her names and I was furious and I was saying I hate her and I was crying and I was you know everything and she was super calm and she was just you know she was just listening and really just say you know I'm sorry it's hard she was really just there for me and I remember telling her like go away I hate you and and, and I, I have this visceral memory of the words coming out, you know, go away. I hate you. Leave me alone. And yeah. oh my God, you better not leave. Please don't leave me. Just Please don't, don't go. go. <laughs> time, right? So it's like, and this is one thing that, thing yeah. that I like to talk about also is that we have this really like mim minimalist understanding of communication. We think it means talk. Right. Like our kids are going to tell us how they feel and we're going to teach them with words and communication is much more complicated than that. And we actually could make so much more progress with our kids so much more quickly if we actually look at what they're saying with their bodies and their behaviors yeah. and not so much with their words. And this is hard. This is like when we're, we're that sort of like feminists, raising boys, advocate, all that stuff gets kind of gray and mushy because, um, you know, where are boundaries? What is consent? Like all of these things come into play, like especially as our boys get older. But the reality is, is like when our kids are little, I get a lot of parents who will say like, well, he just tells me, you know, go away, leave me alone. And I want to respect him. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you're saying go away, leave him alone, you want to respect him. I do understand where that's coming from. But if you go away and leave him alone, he's going to throw the lamp and it's going to be broken or, you know, whatever's going to happen. So like, you got a choice to make. And I think maybe we want to step back and look at all of what he's trying to communicate and whether or not what we want to be listening to is the go away part or if there's, there are other clues that are actually probably trying to communicate exactly the opposite. Yes. You know, I think that is so crucial because I think we've applied that kind of level of respect to the words at a time where it's so inappropriate in terms of what our children are. I mean, if you think about a baby or a toddler who is nonverbal, they might be screaming all sorts of things and you might interpret it to mean go away. And then you go away and, and you've basically, I don't know, you know, neglect. Oh, What's the point? you right. So it, it just, it's such a, it's such a dangerous thing to, for parents, I think to abdicate or to give up on, or to think that they don't have the right to use their bodies as a parenting tool. I feel like, especially with young children and maybe especially with boys, I don't know, but I definitely feel that you, you know, we have to set physical limits often. I often have to physically stop my child from doing certain things. And that is against his consent, but it is 100% necessary. I, I really believe that. Um, and it, yeah, so it's interesting. I'm not saying like hug a kid who doesn't want to be hugged or whatever, but right. don't you think we do need to use touch and bodies in as a tool with young kids? Yes, I do. I think I think that one of the biggest you know mistakes, if I can use that word, that parents will make is not doing that, not using their bodies, like not physically yeah. bringing limits. Mm -hmm. I think especially in like the positive parenting, peaceful parenting, conscious parenting, attachment parenting, like all these movements, it's like somehow it's got this reputation of being like loosey-goosey, wishy-washy, yeah. 
you know, I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, that's why I mean, I literally just did a new course, like setting loving limits. I'm like, you guys, come on, like limits are probably the number one thing that are going to help. That's going to help life go better for you as a parent. Yeah. And for your kid. Yeah. Whether you're dealing with aggression or sleep or sibling issues or, or sharing issues, or, I mean, whatever it is, food issues, chores, doing, not doing chores. I mean, limits are so important and I really believe they're a gift. They are a gift because what they do is they, they, they first of all, a couple things. One, they, they allow us to be the parent, right? And I'm not going to say there's one way that's the right way to parent in the sense that, you know, maybe for you, bedtime is important that all your kids are asleep at seven o'clock. And some people are like that and that's their rule and they nap at a certain time or whatever it is. Like that's how they do it and that's how they function. And I'm not going to judge that. That's fine. Some people, you know, like me, when my kids were little, were just like, well, I'm going out here. So here we go. And like, I just grab them and we go. And like, maybe they're in bed at 10 that night, or maybe they're asleep on my lap, or maybe they sleep in the car, whatever. It doesn't matter. One isn't right or, or wrong, but we need to take time to figure out how do we want to run our family? We can say like, what are our values? And then when we have those values that might be different from our neighbors or our parents or our friends or from me or from you, which is totally fine. But then like, how do we enforce those values? How do we, how do we turn those into limits and then use our body if necessary to make bedtime happen or to stop the aggression or whatever it is? I, I mean, I think that's important. So, so one of the things was, is like, it gives us, uh, limits gives us this, puts us in this role as the, as the head of the family, which I think is important. The other really cool thing that it does is it kind of like, you know, forces our kids to look at the places that they struggle. We wouldn't say it like that to our child, but essentially like, um, you know, let's say you're having homework struggles with a child. You know, he doesn't want to do his, his reading. And I remember, you know, this happened to me once, one of my kids when they were younger and they didn't want to do their, you know, he didn't want to do his reading and, and he was just fighting me on it and I hate it and blah, 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 blah. And so I reached out to him to connect for a little bit and we did some, you know, one-on-one -on -one time together and we, you know, we really connected deeply and whatnot such that I could go put his brothers to sleep and then he could go read. And then when I came out, he was like, oh yeah, um, this is a really good book, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, well, it's time to turn the light off. So he's time to go back. No, can I just read one more chapter? <laughs> um, so, but what happened was, is like to get from, from where we were to there, I had to first like connect and then I skipped to the part about the limit, but essentially I had to say, you know, it's, it's time to read, sweetie. You know, it's, it's time to read. And he had a big upset. You know, he cried, you know, I hate reading. I don't want reading. I hate my teacher, blah, 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 all these things. But then he was able to actually go do it. So by me bringing that limit, it forced him to be face to face with that discomfort which might be a lack of confidence, it might be fear, it might be, you know, it might be a gazillion different things, but whatever it is, me bringing that limit and deciding reading is my value or, or completing homework by the time it's due is my value. And again, you know, some people will be like, it's too late, go to bed, I don't care. That's fine, it doesn't matter. You decide what the limit is. But then once you decide what that limit is, give your child the opportunity to come face to face 
and heal from whatever is getting in the way of that child being able to just do the thing that is the right thing to do, whatever that thing is. In this case, you know, reading the book. Right, 100%. It gives a child an opportunity to overcome the struggle that they had initially with following through on whatever that task is or whatever the expectation was rather than just letting them off the hook or whatever and i love what you said about peaceful parenting or, or conscious parenting etc being um wishy-washy i get that question all the time it's like yeah but i need my kids to do certain things or to stop doing certain things and i'm like look if that's something that you aren't managing to create collaboration you're missing a whole piece of the puzzle. Like you're missing the whole limit setting piece because there is nowhere that I know of where there's, you know, a, a, a conscious or peaceful or mindful parenting approach um, that doesn't include following through and setting limits around destructive behaviors, around expected behaviors, etc. It's just a necessary part of life for every single family. I don't care if you're radical unschoolers, you're still not going to be okay with your child taking a baseball bat and hitting their sister over the head. There's going to be limits in every single family. Of course, like you say, each family will decide which ones. Some care about homework, some don't. That's fine. The point is that you need to be able to follow through on certain boundaries and making exactly. sure that they get respected so exactly and and the other thing you know I, that's important for parents to know because we don't talk about this in terms of limits is one it's absolutely possible to do it with love it limits do not need to be set harshly they don't need to involve shame or blame or making a child feel badly about themselves that doesn't need to be a part of it at all right it doesn't and and on the flip side of that, that tears, disappointment, frustration, or anger may be a part of it on this part of the child, right? I think sometimes people like, oh, you know, I told him he can't whatever hit or spill the chocolate all over the floor and he started crying. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not a problem. Crying is okay. Crying is allowed. Um, so I think it's not going to be without any struggle, but it doesn't have to be with all the anger and threats and fear, you know, inducing stuff on the side of the parent. It's really, a, it's really a mind boggle this whole thing i mean people are just like whoa <laughs> all the things that we thought we needed to use are actually unnecessary whereas other things are necessary that's right no i i couldn't agree i couldn't agree more and and i think one of the mistakes or the that that, that parents make that makes setting limits so difficult is that even though when i say this out loud it's going to sound ridiculous this is what we do we decide you know what our value is if we're doing it if we're doing well, we yeah. bring a limit that is in line with that value. And then we expect our child to love it. Yeah. <laughs> Do it with a smile. Exactly. Yep. And it's like, well, wait a minute. That is a completely unrealistic expectation. You get to lead your family. You get to, you know, infuse your values into your parenting. You get to bring the limits. You get to keep everyone safe. You get to, you know, lead in that way but you don't get to decide how anyone else feels about it that is not possible so part of getting comfortable with setting loving limits is getting comfortable with your kids not liking those limits and that is absolutely okay in fact it's beyond okay it's actually awesome because when they're crying or you know, laughing in your face or all the things that they do to show us like they're really uncomfortable with the limit um, and not liking it. 
that's actually the healing in process. I mean, sorry, in progress. I mean, that's the healing in progress. That is how behaviors change. I, I, I really believe, I mean, we, we're so stuck on this, like teaching our kids and telling them and having these long conversations and all that stuff. But it's like, great. I mean, if, if that's going to get your kid to change his behaviors, then awesome. I have not had such luck. Mm. Nor have my clients. <laughs> you know, I can say four, 457 times, you know, to clean up your room and he won't clean up your room, his room, if he's, you know, not wanting to clean his room and he's busy with something else or to, you know, not turn off the iPad or whatever it is. I can say it 400 times and he's not going to do it. To me, if there's any, if in any other, any other arena in our life, if we tried something so many times and it didn't work, we would stop trying it and we would try something new. But in parenting, we do the same things over and over again that don't work day after day after day, right? Our yeah. kid like won't put on his shoes in the morning when we're trying to get out the door. And every morning we wake up and we do the same thing. We yell from the kitchen, Johnny, put your shoes on. And he doesn't put his shoes on. He keeps playing with his Legos. And then we come out and it's time to go. And we go, Johnny, I told you to put your shoes on. And it's like the next morning we wake up and, and we, yeah. And we're like shocked that the same thing is happening. <laughs> and I'm like, well, well, how come you're shocked the same thing is happening? It's been happening every day for the last two months. So like, maybe it makes sense for us to stop and say like, as the parents, let me see, something's not working here. What could we do differently? Because hoping and praying that tomorrow morning is going to look different has proven that it's not going to work. <laughs> so let's try something different. A hundred percent. So what would you give parents? And I totally did that this morning. Get your shoes on. Oh my gosh, your shoes on, on. I did that this morning. What would you, how would you coach me in that situation to stop and try something different to create a different? Yeah. So first I would say start ahead of time. So one of the things is just like the perspective, but like I've been doing the same thing and it's not working because when we go into a situation and we're quote unquote surprised, we lose our patience pretty quickly. Yes. But if we expect it, then we can make a plan. So if the night before you can think about it or a few hours before and you're like, okay, like we're struggling with getting out the door. What can I do? Kind of a thing. Um, then you're coming at it with a different energy, right? From not like being disappointed or angry and you're not rushed for time because you are, and this is the first thing I would say, giving yourself more time to be able to actually address the problem because it's not gonna go away on its own. So I would give your, I would plan ahead, I would give yourself more time. And in a situation like that, you know, obviously it just depends on the details, but. I would say that play is a great way to go. Like just being silly about the shoes. I mean, you know, depending on their age, if they're younger, you know, you, you can get really goofy, like, wait a minute, you know, like your shoes aren't on, hang on, get, let me, let me help you. Give me that shoe. Okay. And then you take the shoe and you like hang it on his ear, you know? And then he's like, you know, mommy, <laughs> you're like, no, we have to go like get, get the shoes on, you know, and you put them both on his ears. And, and anyway, the point is, is that he's laughing by this time and and laughter brings you closer together and remember we're going for the connection once he feels seen and connected like he wants to cooperate that's the, this is his natural state 
right? When our limbic system isn't, you know, flooding our, our, our thinking brain with stress hormones, then we want to cooperate. We want to be all the quote unquote good behaviors. So in that situation, I would just, I would just leave some time and, and it's not even that much time generally and just get silly about it so that you can be light about it, get silly about it. And I bet you those shoes go on pretty darn fast. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think playful parenting is so often the answer and it feels a little out of reach when you're frustrated and angry. So I think the idea of just taking a moment beforehand to plan that out really will bring us into a problem solving mode rather than focusing on what's what's wrong and what's not going well yeah i suggest parents plan over like like sort of look over if there's something that their place where they are noticing that like they're really getting riled up i have them like look for a pattern because usually it's happening over and over again and then they can kind of step back and go like okay what's what's going on here like what can i do differently mm -hmm. and that that sort of prelude piece is really important Mm -hmm. to just say to a parent yeah we'll just go in and be playful it's like well you have to get out the door in three seconds yeah and about to, your other kids are about to miss the bus and whatever it's like playful schmayful that's gonna be really hard to do yes at that point 100 yeah. percent. Uh, Tasha, i want to bring you back to aggression um and i have a few practical questions to ask you so first of all what is your take on uh aggressive play so gun play, violent play, army play, all of that stuff. How do you feel about it? And what do you advise parents who are very concerned about, you know, that kind of play? Oh, no, if my son wants to play with guns, he'll grow up to be a school shooter type of thing. Right. Um, so I would say relax. <laughs> um, a kid who's playing with guns is not going to grow up to be a school shooter. That's just not what we see. Um, I was one of those moms who was just like, no way, like we are not having guns, we are not having any of that stuff, no Nerf guns and water guns and all that stuff, like it was way too triggering for me. Yeah. And um, my husband is actually the one who helped me here, mm. I would say, and, and really he just explained to me, and he's like the most like peaceful guy on the planet, I think. Um, and it's like, he's too peaceful. He can't, you know, it's like, can you just argue? Like, can we just like, you know, come on. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. <laughs> I know. So, um, you know, he was like, you know, we used to play, we, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have guns growing up. We didn't have anything growing up, but we would like turn sticks and this, like, and, and just play. And, and it just got me starting to think that like, yes, there's this whole industry around it now. But, but the reality is, is, you know, he was telling me that when him and his brothers were growing up and his friends, like they were all doing these things from nature. They were creating these play, play toys from nature. And it just helped me kind of like relax a little bit and look at it. And so I just started experimenting with my boys. And um, so we did get some Nerf guns and a couple things happened. One thing that happened is that I found out that it was super fun. <laughs> <laughs> so... So like running around the house with Nerf guns and like trying to get each other is super fun. Um, it brought lots of laughter, lots of connection. Same thing with, you know, water guns kind of a thing. Yeah. And I will say that it took some time. And I think that if you have parents who are really skeptical about it, that they do get to think about their values. But I would say, I would, I would encourage those parents to get a, to, to challenge themselves to, to step a little bit outside their comfort zone 
In other words, to look at kind of what, what's going on there for them. And so maybe like for me, I did have a rule, like I don't want to be shot in the head. Like I don't, like, I don't like, it freaks me out. I don't want the water on my face. I don't want the Nerf guns on my face. Like I don't, they didn't care if I shot them in the head, but like that was a rule for me. So I could play, but I didn't like that. It, like that would just, it was too triggering for me. And that was okay. Remember, I'm leading the family. I get to have that value. I get to have that rule. And I get to enforce that rule, even if they don't like it. Right? So, so push yourself a little bit beyond your, your comfort zone, but you don't have to give up on your values either. And you can also take it really slowly. So maybe you have a partner who's more comfortable with it and you don't partake, but you just kind of watch. Mm -hmm. And maybe you do that for a few months <laughs> and just kind of notice what's going on. Right? I mean, there's no rush and you yourself don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. But if the kids themselves are enjoying it and having fun with each other, I would not stress about it at all yeah one, I mean one thing I will say in this day and age is that if you are a particularly a boy of color and I don't need to be saying this to parents who are of color but you need to be careful right no you don't want them playing with toy guns because they can look like real guns anywhere where anyone's going to see them because Police brutality is a reality in today's day and age. I mean, there are a lot of like really horrible things going on. So like, you know, every situation, like I said, is different. I don't want to make blanket statements. We all need to look at our own personal histories, you know, what we look like, unfortunately. Uh, all of those things need to be taken into consideration. But in the big picture, I wouldn't worry about like gunplay or that type of a thing. It's not an indication that a child's going to grow up to be, um, you know, a shooter or- Loving. Like, yeah. You know, um, one of the rules that my friends helped us to establish, we are, we are a Nerf gun family. We have Nerf guns and they are lots of fun. I also don't like to be shot in the head or anywhere, frankly, it kind of hurts, um, but it's fun. Um, but one of the rules that uh, was really helpful was that whenever you buy guns, always to buy guns that are clearly toy guns. And that was just a really, I think that's a really great rule. I think it's also a really important safety rule for kids um, so that they know if they see a gun anywhere in any home or whatever that looks real, not that that, that, that is obviously something to stay away from. So it's really good to differentiate between the you know bright, colorful plastic guns and anything that is pretending to be a real gun. Um, yeah. That because I, you know, I, I always forget that because I still to this day am like shocked by how many families actually have guns in their houses, and there are a lot. Yeah, so that's just something to really be aware of. And then the other thing is that we have a rule that only people who want to be shot and, and you always have to ask and you're not allowed to point it at people unless that they, they have expressly said that they are in the game, um, etc. Because I think any, anyone, anyone finds it scary to be pointed at, even with a water gun. It's just like, no, 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 you know, it's, it can be very unpleasant. But beyond that, it is, it is a lot of fun. And I 100% relate to what your husband said. Um, my kids, before before we had Nerf guns and after any art project that we did, literally, like I get out the clay, <laughs> they're making a gun. <laughs> they were just making it out of beads, like the most random materials. They're like, now this is a gun. It's just really funny. I don't know 
exactly how that happens nurture-wise. It's not like we <laughs> are carrying guns. Um, but that's just so interesting. That, And I have a nephew, one of my brothers, their kids were not allowed any kind of guns or toys. Um, but of course, they had a building set. And so he took the screwdriver and that was his gun and he carried it around everywhere. And I mean, it made very little difference that it was a screwdriver versus a gun, you know. Um, I think they eventually did give in. Um, Tasha, okay, so that's really, really helpful. And what is your opinion on video games and boys and aggression? I know, I, I know that's like another seven podcast episodes, but if I could just download your, your opinion, you know, the, the, the short version of it, I'd love to hear where you stand. Yeah, that's a good question. It's not something that I have researched a lot just to say, you know, upfront. Yeah. It's again, something that I leave to families to decide. Um, I, my take on it is it comes back to your values again, like video games come in all shapes and sizes. So, you know, a video game that's a Minecraft game is very different than a, um, uh, Fortnite. Uh, I was, yeah, I wasn't going to say Fortnite, but I mean, also different than Fortnite, but then also different than, um, what's the one with the car? Um, oh, that's it. Those are the only two that I have heard of. So, like, you know, like, where you essentially like car nap, like you, Oh, okay. Field um, cars. Yeah. I forget what it's called. Anyway, yeah. I feel like, again, like we get to decide as parents, like you do not have, and one thing I will say is you do not have to let your child play video games that you don't feel comfortable about, even if he tells you, all my friends are playing. All my friends are playing. So um, that's the line, right? That's, that's the line. Right. And so you don't have to do that. Um, the, 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 I, I, from the research that I've seen, and you can tell I'm not an expert on this, but from the research that I've seen, there aren't necessarily direct correlations between video game playing and aggression. Um, I think what's more clear is that we need our kids to be connected and video games tend to disconnect from loving adults. Then there are also the obvious dangers, right? The dangers about, so if you play Fortnite, for example, you can be playing with people you know and like for us or like for you, so my kids have lots of friends in Israel and they have lots of friends, you know, so it's like that can be a way for them to stay connected and play with them. Mm -hmm. And they're chatting, you know, while they're playing, yeah. which is pretty cool because when I was a kid and I had friends on the other side of the world, I had to wait, you know, two weeks for my letter to get there and then another two weeks for them to write back and then another two weeks for it to get there, right? So that part is pretty cool and actually can nurture those relationships. Yeah. On the other hand, there are a lot of people posing, unfortunately, as people who they're not. So if they're playing with the general public and hopping into games with people who they don't know, then there are real dangers there that I think we just need to be aware of as parents. So what I would say is if your child is interested in those things, then I would highly suggest that you get very interested in it too. If your child is super into Fortnite, then you really probably need to know how to play. You need to understand how the chat rooms work so that you can decide what limits make sense for you. 
and 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 make sure that your child is is following them. The other thing I would say about like you know tech in general is that it should really stay in a public place. Mm -hmm. Your child should not be like on the internet in their bedroom. Yeah, like it, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, it's really just not, I, I don't feel like it's black and white. I feel like parent, you know, families get to decide. Um, and also kids are different. Some kids are really super into video games and some kids aren't at all. And some kids start out and then you kind of you like let them do their thing and then they're kind of done with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And some kids have a, are prone towards addiction and those games are decide are decidedly designed to addict people. I mean, that is what they are designed to do and they're designed very very well so if you notice that that is your go-to and that it's getting in the way of your child's social life ability to interact with the family um, in meaningful ways then to me that would be a sign that limits need to be brought either in terms of time or or whatnot and again i'll just say no one right way i've known families um, who have decided you know no no screen stuff during the week but like one day on the weekend, free for all, do whatever you want. Some families are like, when your homework's are done, then you can do it. I mean, again, no one right way, but you wanna figure it out. And the last thing I'll say about that is that it doesn't have to be forever. So you try something, it's all about experimenting. So you do it for a week and you see how it affects his behavior, how it affects your family dynamics and whether or not this is a positive thing, a neutral thing or a negative thing. And if it's positive, fine. If it's neutral, you've got stuff to think about. And if it's negative, then probably you're going to want to be bringing some limits around it. Yeah. I love that approach of saying, you know, it's so individual and there are so no two games, two gamers, two families are alike. So it's really something we each have to navigate with each child and in their own way. But um, there are some really solid tips in there, Tasha. Thank you so much. And um, I want to be mindful of your time, but I have one last question that I wanted to ask you, which is, if anyone is struggling with um, aggression happening in their family, so, you know, calling names, I hate you, you're the worst parents ever, or, uh, you know, throwing things, kicking siblings, hurting people, etc. You've touched on learning to handle our own triggers and connecting with our children. What other message should parents in that situation hear? What do they need to know? You know, what's kind of, if you're reaching out a loving hand to support them in that situation, what, what would you tell them? The main thing that I would tell them is to remember that their sweet boy is always there. Even when the behaviors are atrocious, that sweet child is in there. And if you as a parent can just keep your eye on that, and that might mean um, you know, conjuring up an image in your mind of when you felt super connected to him or even keeping a picture, a photograph in your pocket that you need to pull out to remind you or whatever it is, whatever you can do to remember that, that behavior, excuse me, that behavior doesn't equal identity. These are two different things. That sweet boy is always in there. And, and yes, sometimes there's these behaviors that are glommed on top that are ugly and they're nasty and they're hurtful to you or to others, but it doesn't mean the child's bad. And so I don't want, I just, I don't want parents to give up because we get scared and we worry and we start going down like what's wrong with our child or what have I done wrong that my child is behaving this way? 
And, and that's not, it's just not a productive way to go. Remember that that sweet boy is in there and just keep reaching for him. And then, you know, everything that I teach and that you teach are, are all ways to just keep reaching for that child. So don't, don't, don't go down the like, oh my God, something horrible is wrong. Instead, like, remember that that sweet boy's in there always and just keep connecting. And as you keep connecting, you'll see those behaviors as horribly aggressive as they are, um, you'll see them peel away and you'll, you'll slowly be able to see more and more of that sweet boy shine through. Tosha, thank you so much. And I want to just uh, emphasize that that is so that has been 100% my experience. And um, there's this concept called the golden child of holding this image of your child, you know, maybe when they're sleeping or when they were a baby or just when they're doing something very sweet, and just holding that in mind. And when my son was going through a particularly aggressive period, um, after my fourth child was born, I want to kind of tie this in with something else that you said was there was one evening where I realized that I just wasn't hugging him very much, very often. And I just asked him to come and lie on my tummy, like when he was a baby. And I must've hugged him for like 45 minutes or something. You know, we just really, 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 really connected. And it, you know, there's no such thing as a magic bullet. There were many other things that I was doing to support him and help him, but it was a turning point. It really made a huge difference in his behaviors, you know, over the course of the next few weeks. It really, it really did turn around. And it was because I, you know, finally kind of pulled myself up by the bootstraps and said, no, I'm not going to see him as these behaviors, I'm going to connect to the sweet boy inside. So it was, it was a hundred percent that. And when we see our children as sweet, they see themselves as sweet and they can bring forth those aspects too. So. Absolutely. Powerful. Just like us, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and Tasha, everybody, uh, I want you guys to know that Tasha has an incredible course exactly around this. If you are struggling with aggression in your, in your little boys, you, must take this course. I look forward to being a student in there with you. It's called Out With Aggression and I will be linking it on the show notes on this page. So definitely look out for that. Beyond that, Tosha, where should people go to learn more about your incredible work? They can go to my website, TashaShore.com or I'm on Facebook at Tasha Shore, your partner in parenting boys. Beautiful. And we'll link those up in the show notes as well. Tasha, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Avika. This was so fun so much fun we will definitely do it again thanks for listening to the parenting junkie show if this was helpful for you i would be so appreciative if you would subscribe rate and review the podcast subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that i only deliver here and when you rate and review the show it helps other parents find it i'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste.